to show how once upon a time we lived happily ever after. And it wasn't because we wished for more wishes. We wished instead for stories well told. Hi, this is Shannon. And Kristen, and we're better known as the Vogel Twins! Yay! Today is a special spooky New York story. So we're going to highlight the Music Hall. The Music Hall was built in 1885 during the Millionaire's Colony era when mansions dotted the Hudson Valley landscape and families such as the Rockefellers, Golds, and Vanderbilts gathered at the Music Hall to participate in its lavish balls, flower shows, and concerts. Since then, the Music Hall has been a reflection of the human spirit, mirroring the current events of the town and the rest of the world. In addition to president speeches, it's hosted women's suffrage rallies and endured several wars, depressions, and pandemics, including those of the 1918 and 2019. It's a vessel through which many people pass and some don't leave. The building is an official site of the Haunted History Trail of New York. Gotham's Paranormal Research Society has investigated the music hall several times and has consistently detected paranormal activity including intriguing EVP or electronic voice phenomena, audiophiles and EMF, electromagnetic fields, readings. Today, we are going to talk to master storyteller Jonathan Kruk and discover the historic lore and spirits that linger here at the Terrytown Music Hall. Thank you so much for being here today, yes, Jonathan. Thank you. <laughs> I'm honored, delighted, thrilled. Yes. Oh, I'm we're so, so glad. I know we kind of already introduced a little bit of the Music Hall, but I want to get to know a little bit more about you until we get into all that storytelling. So you grew up telling tales to your kid brother, leading to an epiphany. Children love listening to tales told mm-hmm. live. This launching a full career storytelling. Can you share that moment and how it really evolved into the career that you made for yourself today? Well, once upon a time, as the oldest of five children, my parents said, could you please put your rambunctious, squirming, squiggling (laughs) five-year-old brother to bed. And, you know, I thought, yeah, I'll hit him with a pillow. But instead, (laughs) I just began to take him on a wild escapade, telling Mm. stories about a a peculiar elfish fellow by the name of Mr. Googly Botsnik, who was always out looking for herbs for his garden or his tea and he would run into adventures and it would usually be kind of an exaggeration of something that happened during the day uh to me or to him you know mm. and it um it you know it spilled over into uh my life in college and when i got asked um to go to a local elementary school to to to, to do some volunteerism i thought oh i could tell stories to my like I do with my little brother. Mm -hmm. But when I sat down in front of all these little kindergartners who, you know, saw me at six feet two and, (laughs) you know, they were kind of afraid. And so I just told, I made up a story about a giant or someone who was making peculiar noises going, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they thought it was really scary, but it really was someone the whole point was it just was someone who wanted to schmooze with the kids. And at the end, it turned out that this giant was fine. And the kids were sitting far back. And then they came in closer and closer. And then they wanted to 
you know, sit on my lap because they were so enjoying the story. And I had an epiphany that children crave stories. And that's Mm -hmm. where I recognized that it was something I wanted to do because it brought together acting and education and, you know, and for over 30 years, it's been now my career, my calling. I love love that that story. That's so cute. Even as you tell it, I feel like I'm one of the kids getting closer and closer. Like, ooh, (laughs) tell me. I know. I like had just a big smile on my face as you said that because it's so cute. Yeah. Well, I have to add uh, maybe a a slightly more inebriated version. (laughs) When I was, you know, I was I went to Holy Cross College, Mm -hmm. and I got into the college on a a Navy ROTC scholarship. I was oh. supposed to become a, a Navy officer and they paid for room board tuition. It was a really mm-hmm. good deal, but I was completely unsuited for the program. So to escape, mm-hmm. I would wander into the city of Worcester and I wandered into a oh. secondhand bookstore and found a book of, of illustrations by the mm-hmm. British Danish author, Kay Nielsen. And one featured a, 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 bear with this one princess perched on her back and they were deep in the wilderness and the story it was an illustration for the story east Mm -hmm. of the sun west of the moon and I you know shelved the book went back to campus and Mm -hmm. my you know I tried to create a diversion with my ROTC life by going to Mm -hmm. you know like a a party and uh, Mm -hmm. I opened up a bottle of beer and the cap said east of the sun, west of the moon. And I was kind of gobsmacked thinking it was yeah. a bit of an epiphany. Yeah. And there was a, you know, a student and and I said, east of the sun, west of the moon. And she in this kind of, again, inebriated way said, oh yeah, that's about <laughs> this big bear who he's a bear by day and a man by night. And this girl has to kind of endure that for a year and a day or else he has to go marry the ogress who... Uh, lives east of the sun, west of the moon. And I thought, how come I've never heard that story? And I looked it up and it became one of the first stories I began to tell children. So that kind of brought the thing home uh, for me, that little beer cap and the Kay Nielsen illustration. I was just going to say, like, I've never heard that story before. Like that is, (laughs) I I wouldn't say like the most common of, you know, children's stories that like to find that and to someone to know that. And then it'd be it, like it a beat. No. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the full circle kind of moment is kind of crazy. I'm yes. a big believer in, you know, signs. And I feel like yeah. that was just so divine for you. Or it's just like you kind of see this book, this magical moment for you trying mm-hmm. to, I feel like in general, fairy tales are a bit of an escapism in reality in a beautiful way. And you see this beautiful book, you go back and it revisits you in reality. And you're like, this is my calling, literally. Yeah. And figuratively, regardless of how many beers you had that yes. night. I believe it was a sign. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was a sign. Yeah, I think I just had two. They were Narragansett, <laughs> and now I know it's much better. But back then they were pretty skunky, and you know. <laughs> so the uh, the story is really all I remember, That's and beautiful. that there happened to be someone who knew of it right there. You know, to mm-hmm. relate was yeah, it was a calling, and I answered. Yes, and yeah. uh, we're glad you did. So, I know. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there've been a few times when that's happened. Um, I I remember, you know, years ago when historic Hudson Valley was sleepy hollow restorations, Mm -hmm. I, I think I had been, someone saw me from there 
telling a story about the American Revolution, uh, the Battle of White Plains, actually. And that comes up with Sleepy Hollow and with Mm -hmm. the musical, too. And they invited me to come to Phillips Manor to tell stories. So I learned these stories from a 19th century book that... um, uh, collected and retold and researched to an extent some of the stories Washington Irving mentions in The Legend of mm. Sleepy Hollow, like the tale of the wailing woman in white who cries yes. before storms, or the ghost of tragical Major John Andre, and of mm. course, the the Headless Horseman. Yes. But then I didn't know his real origin story. Mm-hmm. And that did take some time and some sleuthing to to figure out. But again, I had a mentor, a real mentor, mm-hmm. who, when I told him, I said, oh, you know, I've got high, I've been hired by Sleepy Hollow Restorations to tell yeah. Hudson Valley lore and, you know, some mm-hmm. of the stories Washington Irving told. And he was this um, completely folkloric character himself. He had, his name was Nicholas Shumatov, but because he worked with, native peoples Mm -hmm. and around here he did a a big grant and collected their stories Mm. the uh the tribe uh gave him the name of he who stands firm and he became my mentor and introduced me to hudson river lore not just native but dutch and colonial revolutionary and of course washington irving and he, I remember him bringing me to his little library. I might even have it right here. Oh, it's exclusive. I don't know if this is the actual book, but he says, he says, um, he says, I, I said, you know, the, 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 what about, you know, Ghost on the Hudson? And he says, he, mm. this is how he would talk. He would say, well, if you pull out the um, south of the mountains, 19, you know, 57 version, you can... Look up the imps of Dunderberg, these mm-hmm. diabolical mischief-making spirits. You need to tip your hat or else they'll sink your ship yes. at world's end. And that's become a story I frequently tell. That's the story at the very beginning mm-hmm. yep. of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the Dutch skippers would tip their hat mm-hmm. um, in order to sail through the Tappan Zee on through the Highlands into Albany. And he had, you know, a photographic memory to know exactly what of these journals to go to. So that was another epiphany. And then in, I had been telling bits and pieces of these stories, but then Mm -hmm. in 2010, Historic Hudson Valley, after the Great Recession, revamped Mm -hmm. all that they do. And they asked me to go to the old Dutch church to tell a full version of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And so I, you know, I I managed to do that. And it's become since then a tradition, though um, a bit of a bittersweet thing occurred where we've moved to Sunnyside and, you know, with the pandemic to have the occurrence be outdoors Mm -hmm. and to now have an appearance by, the headless horseman but i do perform there on occasion we're looking to have me come back to do uh one of my all-time favorite stories a christmas carol at the you know 1685 built old dutch Mm -hmm. church it's a and the church is just Mm -hmm. idyllic it's still 
a sacred space and mm-hmm. um yeah it 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 just accentuates the hope and redemption in uh the tale of you know Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge and Tiny yes. Tim and Cratchit it's a classic so. for a reason <laughs> no I know honestly I love that story and honestly I actually was gonna ask you just to give like a little bit of a highlight yeah. of Sleepy Hollow for people who may not know the story we obviously being We're from, from New, New York, York we to, know to us this is like how how dare you not know what Sleepy Hollow is but for those who don't know I'm curious can you explain to some people what Sleepy Hollow is well everyone knows of the headless horseman of Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow mm-hmm. for when Washington Irving wrote the story he mm-hmm. sent that goblin into our dreams but he originated at a a battle during the american revolution where he lost his head but by the spells of sleepy hollow his spirit rises up and scours the roads through central westchester seeking that missing head and along his way A schoolmaster from Connecticut ended up near Sleepy Hollow, a staunch Dutch community where people have, well, they're so Dutch they have cookies coming out of their ears. (laughs) And Ichabod thought that he could be not only schoolmaster, but choir master, but that he could court, spark, and marry the wealthiest young woman in all of Sleepy Hollow, Katrina Van Tassel. But she also earned the admiration of Abraham von Brunt, who was a burly, rollicking, roistering blade behind any bit of mischief in Sleepy Hollow. And why, for him, it was no matter of mischief. He had to get rid of Ichabod Crane. And some say he disguised himself as the headless horseman to drive off Ichabod. The Sleepy Hollow sages, however, say no, it wasn't. Brom Bones, it was the real galloping goblin, drove off Ichabod Crane. And from that day unto these days, Ichabod's voice is still heard where the schoolhouse he once taught in stood, and that unrelenting goblin still will not go to its grave until it finds that missing head. And though I've been telling this tale for years, people still will come to me and say, I think I uh, sense the Headless Horseman over by the Sleepy Hollow Country Club or just a little outside of the cemetery. Or maybe along Sleepy Hollow, old Sleepy Hollow Road or at Silver Lake near White Plains where around Halloween 1776, a battle indeed took place. Washington Irving said it was a nameless battle, but Mm. it had to have been that battle where the horseman lost his head. And I'll tell you the secret as to why. The Journal of General William Heath records a Hessian losing his head at that battle while he was looking to commandeer a cannon. So there is a smoking cannon. And that's why Washington Irving calls it the legend of Sleepy Hollow, because legend means it's based on something that really happened. And there really was a Hessian who lost his head. Oh, my. And his name, this is according to a colleague of mine Mm -hmm. in his book, 
Christ, his name, mm. this is a book by Christopher Redino. Oh, okay. And uh, he said that his name was Christian Ranga. Oh. And you can read his book and my book, <laughs> Legends and Lord of Sleepy Hollow, which <laughs> I have up here on a on a shelf. And it gives Ooh. the backstory of the Headless Horseman and how Washington Irving, <laughs> you know, borrowed from German fairy tales mm -hmm. and a Scottish poem and Dutch traditions and an encounter with Jesse Merwin, the Ooh. original Ichabod Crane, to mm. cobble it all together to create this enduring tale. Oh, I love that. So we so definitely just, there it a is. little plug-in. We're going to definitely, you're going to have to read that. That is amazing to kind of get more of that backstory and things like that, you know? I'm actually kind of curious on, like, yes. know, I feel like there's so many, like, takes or, like, history behind the Sleepy Hollow story. What are your takes on, like, you know... The movies that are being made from this film like we obviously have like tim burton's take on sleepy hollow which has a different like a little bit of feel to it like what is your interpretations of all these sort of stories that go along with sleepy hollow well first <clears throat> i know washington irving would be thrilled with all the different versions <laughs> even though they stray quite dramatically from his original yes. text and you know i i still have yet to find a movie that really just simply mm. you know tells the tale as dare I say I do yes. when I go to Sunnyside or when I've told it in the old Dutch church. Mm -hmm. I love the atmospherics, the creativity, the yeah. the, the horror of mm -hmm. the uh, Tim Burton, Johnny Depp film yes. and um, the intrigue too. It's, it. I mean, he just, you know, with Christopher Walken as the headless horseman, yes. it's you know, just, you know, diabolical. Mm -hmm. um, and that, uh, you know, it, it draws you in. I mm. I did enjoy the 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 series too that mm. you know with Tom Misson oh. on um you know playing Ichabod Crane, mm. even though again they went wildly off. They just took <laughs> Washington Irving, and this is what he's so good at. Yeah. And he sparks all of these other incarnations mm -hmm. of the story. Um my still my favorite Ichabod Crane was, you know, Jeff Goldblum, you know, who's yes. got the right physicality mm -hmm. and Ichabod was a he was a geek he was um uh and you know you know Jeff certainly manifests that geekiness there yes. but there was a version done by a Canadian uh film house that was had the warm and and the, there's a lot of wit in it it's more of even a, a witty story than a horror story and people don't always realize that I mean mm -hmm. there actually is no real moment where Washington Irving says that there's the horseman out there with a battle axe like Christopher Walken lopping That's off true. heads. He <laughs> creates more of a creepy ambiance of the possibility oh, okay. of that ghost out there maybe wanting to harvest a head. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, I really enjoy uh, what I, my favorite chase scene is the Disney version from 1948 where every permutation of how you can ride and slip off of a horse oh. is entertained by the Disney yeah. cartoonists. Oh, and yes. um, my favorite song there is, you know, not just not the Big and Crosby version. I do like that. But there was one done in 1962. And, you know, um, my wife and I made a video oh. of 
you know, the headless horseman, he's the worst. You know, we'll gather round while I elucidate on what happens outside when it gets late. Yeah. Along about midnight, the ghosts and banshees get together for a midnight jamboree. Yo. And then the song <laughs> goes off there. And the guy who's singing it mm-hmm. um, did the song for the Grinch. You know, you're a mean oh, one, Mr. Oh, Grinch. And he was the voice of Tony the Tiger. Oh. Yeah, yes. and his name, oh, he's got a great name too, Thurl's. Ravenscroft. Oh. I mean, you know, who, what else are you going to be? You're, you're not going to be an <laughs> yeah. accountant. You're going to be a, <laughs> yeah, a no, voiceover artist, yeah. a song smith there. Oh, a song yeah. smith. I so like anyway, there's that. What a resume. Uh, several stories there. I, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, I love yes. that. So. I know there is just so many takes on that story, and I just love the interpretations <laughs> and, like, how people can display a yeah. story in general. And I think that Sleepy Hollow and just in general, the spookiness of the story. I think it's great that people can interpret it in so many different ways. Animation, music, like everything. Like, I didn't know about Tony the yes. Tiger. I used to eat that cereal all the time. <laughs> Frosted Flakes is one of my favorites besides, uh, yeah, what's, like, the, <clears throat> what's the Captain Crunch? Captain Crunch, yeah, like Captain yeah. Crunch. <laughs> Two favorites. Yes. Captain uh, Crunch, yeah. So yeah. good. Oh, my goodness. I don't know who did the voice of Captain Crunch, but Tony the Tiger, oh, okay. Thurl's Ravencroft. Yeah, honestly, that name is phenomenal. Like I yeah. hope that yeah. I hope that's his original name and not like a stage name because it's genuinely very good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll have to Google <sighs> that later. I'm gonna Google that. I think it's his original name. Oh, that makes yeah. it better. Wow. That makes yeah, it so Google him later. I yeah, will he'll... Google that. I'm gonna, we're gonna fact check that, yeah. but honestly, on this podcast, we're gonna say it's a fact because yes. I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it is. I I. But I did the book, I delved into it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. And I'm curious, though, since we did mention a lot about Sleepy Hollow, Mm -hmm. most people know about that story. But it's actually not the only hauntings that New York is known for. In the Ghost Tales of the Music Hall tour that you provide at the Terrytown Music Hall, you discuss the history and hauntings of this 135-year-old historic theater. Can you discuss with us some of these haunting stories today? (laughs) Yes. Well, there's two prime spirits there and they one seems to be the daughter of kate wallace and not all that long ago uh, the famed comedian joan rivers was in the third floor yellow dressing room and she was trying to put on her makeup and someone was interfering with the lighting and she comes out and goes to the the lighting techie and says, could you please get the light bulbs working? I mean, you know, I know I've had Botox, but I need to get the makeup on. And two, three times the lights blinked out. (laughs) And then she began to detect this faint, but um, like a little lilting voice, a kind of la 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 like song. And that was it. She was, you know, done and insisted on getting moved out of that room (laughs) down to a different dressing room and they obliged she was the star paying the bills there and you know they were used to other artists being temperamental but that wasn't the end of this disembodied la 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 little voice when the gotham paranormalists came to investigate they detected it as well and it Mm -hmm. it seemed to be honing in on one particular spirit who not only wanted to sing, but had reason to want to fulfill a strong desire to sing. 
You see, William Wallace, when he, not long after he built the music hall, had his heart broken when his daughter eloped with a fellow who was a clerk at Grand Central Station. He felt, Wallace felt, that this man was unworthy of his daughter. And in his desire to express how unworthy he thought the clerk from Grand Central was, he, in a rage, disinherited his daughter. And he was, back in the 18... you know, 80s, a a millionaire, a multimillionaire by today's standards. And he was so arrogant, so proud, he never forgave himself and never really reconciled with his daughter. And yet we have a sense he wanted her to sing in that music hall. And therefore, the sense we now have is that Kate fulfills her father's dream by singing this little la-la-la refrain from time to time that maybe Joan Rivers and others have heard. But she primarily affects things by leaving a light on in that particular dressing room. And some of the, the stalwart technicians and even Karina um, Ringheisen, whose family painstakingly over decades mortgaging their own house, restored the Tarrytown Music Hall, prevented it from falling to the wrecking ball. And two curious things occurred. Um, On the very first tour that uh, Chant McLeod and I did, we were on stage and talking about how the tradition is to always leave a light on in the theater for the theater spirits who come when you're when you've forgotten a line and they whisper it into your ear to be or not to be, that's the question, you know, and the light draws them (laughs) in. And when we were talking about that, uh, Karina noticed the ropes for the sandbags, which have all but replaced in most theaters, vibrating. And she who she grew up in that theater, her DNA is in it. And she notices every little nuance and she saw them vibrating. And she was at first apprehensive to share that story with Chant and I, but she did. And then finally, Chant and I both had some experiences with children having a kind of a disembodied light shining on them, you know, nine-year-old girls they were both when we were giving the tours. And one of them was so distressed that her mother came to me afterwards and said, I took this picture, I saw something of this little light on my daughter's face, and she's a little upset. Could you assure her? And I said, oh, it's likely the spirit of Kate Wallace wanting to sing a sweet song to please her father from whom she was estranged during her lifetime. So she, the girl instantly started to smile and went away and Chant told a similar story of another girl. And that she said, he said that they didn't quite capture the light, you know, the orb is how it's described on the little girl, but Chant and the mother and the girl all, saw it, but the spirit decided to elude. But that spirit's a more heartbreaking Mm -hmm. one. 
when the theater was one of the first yeah. houses in 1901 to show silent films. Mm-hmm. And then 30 years later, the early ni- the late 1920s, it became a, a silver screen paradise with seating for over 800 people. And for until the early 70s, it was the place to go for theaters. But then with the advent of the rise of television and HBO, multiplexes came and those theaters were getting divided up, but they refused to divide or couldn't properly divide the Tarrytown Music Hall. But when word came, though, that it was going to close down, it broke the projectionist's heart. And he committed suicide, likely in the the projectionist's booth. And we seem to feel that his, now that the theater is, has been revived. He's there along with Kate. We, I don't, we don't really know his name, uh, but they're there as benevolent spirits, but they are poltergeisting. Mm -hmm. Um, They, the projectionist enjoys knocking things off of shelves, much to the chagrin of the sound engineer and the lighting engineer. Um, uh, We think Kate likes to surprise (laughs) the women in the restroom and there are these very fancy restrooms. I like to joke that the men's room urinal is big enough to take a bath in, although I would not recommend it. It didn't go well for me when I tried. Um, but uh, one of the guy, the guides told me that when she was in the, in the women's room, the ladies room, as it's called yes, with these yes. genteel, beautiful lettering, it's worth it just to see the fonts in the theater to come on the tour. Yes. But she said she was in a booth and she heard someone come down the steps. And she thought when she'd come out, you'd have one of those slightly uncomfortable conversations you hear have with someone, you know, when you're going to the bathroom, but yeah. no one was there. But the strange part for her was no one went up the stairs no. and so she I would may have had something else so scared fast. from her <laughs> um, <laughs> visiting the restroom so these stories have been emerging yeah. with the tour so I think people have to get on we're going to continue after Halloween yeah. with a few tours so they're going to have to come out to see if any inexplicable or even supernatural uh, presence occurs again in the Tarrytown Music Hall. Yeah, when we go, because we're definitely going to go to uh, one of these. I'm going to be so scared to go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to well, have to make sure to hold it in because I'm very nervous. Well, there's another bathroom, <laughs> and this ties into the theater. There's another bathroom. And, okay, uh, good. Okay. Karina told me, oh, she said, okay. oh, on the tour, you've got <laughs> to mention the most expensive seat in the house. And I said, oh, is that a front row seat for Bon Jovi? or?" For oh. jo-? And she said, no. It's the $50,000 all-access <laughs> renovated bathroom. So you can use that one when you go. No ghosts have no, yet no to way. visit there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No not kid. yet. Not not that we know of. Not yet. yet. Oh, no. my goodness. Oh, when these ghosts have ever encountered on these tours, have it ever happened to you personally? Or is it always like the guests that you've like had on the tour? It's kind of fascinating to, to think that ghosts either like highlight 
women to other people, you know? <laughs> yeah, they do. Well, these ghosts have highlighted the the children, these two, you know, girls who are about nine or ten. Um, yeah. But I, I've just felt um, yeah. what I sense is the energy of all of the years of all of the varied mm-hmm. performers and people mm-hmm. who've come there because you mm-hmm. feel you're entering a sanctuary. And I think that the walls absorb the the joy, mm-hmm. the, okay. the, the, you know, the, the longing, the heartache and the songs, the, ex- yeah. how they provide a catharsis and these, yeah. you know, that's in the paint, in the, uh, in the paneling of the music hall. Um, but I'm still on the lookout mm-hmm. for a spirit coming along, uh, yes. you know, to perhaps Ooh. bother or needle or So, So there less. hasn't been any like psychics? There have. Karina gave me two examples from the study done by the Gotham Paranormalist. Mm. And one is a distinct whistle. Oh. And I think that's the projectionist being kind of a bit of a wag mm. because there's a tradition against whistling in the theater because that means a sandbag might (gasps) fall on your head as did ages ago when one of the stagehands you know coming from the tradition of being a ship's uh mate Mm -hmm. they would man the ropes and they would whistle but something got a cue got crossed and someone heard a whistle dropped a sandbag it fell on an actor and um he became a ghost and so now there's no whistling in the theater, but you hear the projectionist, oh my oh my you know, distinctly whistling on one of these uh, recordings. And I can, mm. you know, maybe I can send you a sample yes, of that please. and the little la la la, oh my potentially Kate Wallace ghost yes. singing as well oh my there. Goodness. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I feel like I'd make it a ringtone. Oh, yeah, right. right? Wouldn't that, that be a little whistle? Or little like, whistle. Yeah. It's like, what's that? Oh, it's like Kate. Just sing a little tune. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this actually off mic, but you have experienced something paranormal, correct? Was it, it wasn't in the music hall, but it was somewhere else in Hudson Valley. Is that correct? Or was it the music hall? It wasn't in the music hall. The one paranormal experience I relate, and it has a connection to the Headless Horseman, Mm. but it really pertains to a mysterious figure called the Leather Man. He was a a kind of itinerant hermit who wandered a 365-mile circuit between the Connecticut and Hudson Rivers, sleeping in caves, rarely if all working, begging, clad in 60 pounds of patchwork leather. And if you were kind enough to give him food when he would approach reeking of tannin and tobacco, his high thanks, his praise would be, uh, that was it. And when he finally gave up the ghost, his body was found and buried in the Sparta Cemetery, which has a connection to Sleepy Hollow because the ghost of Major Andre kind of, you know, was uh, associated with that cemetery when Andre was supposed to escape Mm -hmm. on board a boat called the Vulture, a British warship, with plans for West Point given to him by Mm -hmm. Benedict Arnold. But the boat got fired upon and retreated 
And then some other uh, American revolutionaries fired upon it. And when it returned fire, some of the cannon shot landed in the Sparta Cemetery. And the Sparta Cemetery is not far from where Brom Bones saw and raced the headless horseman from the Sparta, near the Sparta Cemetery in a tavern down to the old Dutch church in Sleepy Hollow. And that's where the bridge was that the horseman would dare not cross unless, of course, he ever were to get his head. Oh, my goodness. So when I was looking for the headless, I was looking for the grave of the leather man one hot summery day. And I wandered all around the cemetery and I couldn't find it. And when the gloaming came, the kind of time between day and night, mm. I there was a, a little hill and I saw a young woman with a parasol and a long, you know, kind of a petticoat. And I thought, like me, she may have been a reenactor yeah. at Phillipsburg Manor, like me, looking for some historic grave. And I thought, I won't run over and say, hey, where's a leather man's grave and startle her. <laughs> I would let her walk past this low hill. Mm. And so she was walking past it. And just for a few seconds, she was obscured by the hill. But when I came round to meet her, she no. was not there. No. And it really oh. terrified me. I, oh, yeah. I jumped into my car <laughs> And I was trying to pull out of the cemetery lot onto Route 9. And there was all this traffic. (laughs) And I noticed something at my right shoulder. And I thought, you've seen enough horror movies. Don't look, don't look. It's going to be a disembodied face with worms and mice Mm. crawling out of it. Don't look. But what did I do? I looked. But instead of seeing this, you know, woman with a parasol in white, I saw the leather man's marker his grave and i was like there it is so i felt in a way this spirit helped me find the leather man's marker okay and that was the closest i've really come to experiencing like something of the supernatural there my goodness i would i I one, you're brave for looking because I would have been like, I have seen too many horror films, and I was like, I will die if I look. <laughs> so I would have, I would have gone onto oncoming traffic. <laughs> I thought that I would. Yeah. That's, oh my god. Yes, I, I know. I thought about that too. That I just made sure I didn't hit the brake, hit the gas, and zoom yes. into traffic. Yeah. Oh my. Better to get hit by a truck than to see a. Yeah. Uh, ghost. ghost leering so, yeah. at you. Absolutely. And then joining her and being like, damn. Yes, <laughs> being, yes, and I would be drifting about the Sparta <laughs> Cemetery as a spirit there, but <laughs> she was quite distinct and you know, and to, and the fact that I put That's together that wild. she was, you know, maybe an interpreter mm-hmm. of history and had been working yeah. down at Phillipsburg mm-hmm. Manor, but um she really just and I looked around to see if she could escape and there was a big thicket. There wasn't any place she could have gone to have gotten out. She literally vanished until she, you know, drew me to look to my right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I can't imagine seeing something physically. Like, I feel like, you know, there's like, 
the noises, the whistling, yeah. like things like that, that I'm like, oh, like, but then I feel like you, I can like almost be like, oh, like maybe it's the wind or like, you know, try to convince myself otherwise. But you can't convince yourself when you see someone yeah. who's not there. <laughs> yes, that was. <laughs> like that is just like, okay, what's horrifying. going on? Yeah. Like that's, Ugh. that's horrifying. So amazing. But I will say though, I think it's so amazing. Like, you know, with all these amazing tales from like Sleepy Hollow to Terrytown, when, when we were looking into more of like New York, his, like history, there's so many stories like this, just as you mentioned earlier with the leather man like yeah. there's just so much more than just the headless horseman and you honestly highlight that a lot in your career with a lot of your storytelling yes. and I will say in my opinion I think storytelling is the oldest art form yes. from the days of sharing scary tales around mm -hmm. the campfire to going to the cinema yeah. the once upon a time spirit is still alive and well in the 21st century oh, thank god in your yes. storytelling profession what do you think makes a story stand the test of time yeah surprise is what makes it stand the test of time and the commonality being that mm. a good story begins with a problem that perhaps everyone could have and then there are steps like in a fairy tale to solve it and mm, along okay. the way, some kind of like a little helper, like a Cinderella's fairy godmother will come to resolve it. And then there's mm. a, an unexpected yes. ending. And the and the reason you're telling it is that you thought, you know, like I thought I was just going to go to the cemetery, read the tombstone and leave. But lo and behold, a ghost appears. So that becomes a story. Mm. That's a surprise <laughs> when we can, you know, relate something mm. that we thought was going to be just again, beginning the ordinary, a common experience we all have, but then something mm -hmm. even shocking or different at least occurs. That's what endures. And that's what, you know, mm -hmm. that's why now um, things like, you know, the moth are popular or people sharing personal stories or when people talk mm -hmm. about how do you market yourself? Well, tell your story. That's what you've got to do. And that's why they call filmmakers like Ken Burns or Steven yeah. Spielberg. They call them storytellers, you know, and, and, and mm -hmm. even, you know, again, if you're trying to mm -hmm. share what is most sincere and honest, you don't just say that, you know, the car is going to, you know, you can plug it into the wall and it'll go a hundred miles before you have to charge it. It's like, I used to have to fill up my tank to go to my grandmother's house, but now I can plug it into the wall and I get to grandmother's <laughs> without having to plug it in. And so that's, yeah, nice. a, you know, 21st century new stuff that people are wanting to share. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and everyone's wanting to share some little bit of their own story on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and, you know, Reddit and many, many other that's places. True, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. That is so true. Yeah. Honestly, that's so beautifully said. I, I honestly, agree. I agree with you. You're the professional, but I agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's a really good point yeah. when it comes to storytelling. Yeah. And it's just... It's just, it's an incredible thing. And I just honestly want to thank you so much for taking the, your time to talk with us yeah. today. And I just want to give you a, the plug-in that you deserve. Oh my God, Can yeah. you please tell us if there's any events or where people can find you? Since you did mention a few bit socials, you kind of actually alluded earlier, you're going to have some events in New York. So yes. I'd love to let our audience know where they can find you. Well, they can find, of course, if you just Google Jonathan Kruk, K-R-U-K, and avoid the former baseball player in the Polish <laughs> punk rock bands, because my name 
Krupp means raven in Polish. You can find me. But upcoming, I have um, nice. the, the weekend just be- before Halloween, until Halloween, if they're looking at this soon enough, you can hear me tell the legend of Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. at Sunnyside, Washington Irving's homestead. Mm-hmm. And if you go to historic Hudson Valley, you'll find mm-hmm. how to get tickets there. And if you go to the Tarrytown Music Hall. You can find it about tours I'll be conducting there into the month of November. And also the website will show how I'd be, you know, delighted to come to your school park, library, fair, festival, even wedding or bar mitzvah Mm -hmm. to show how once upon a time we lived Mm -hmm. happily ever after. And it wasn't because we wished for more wishes. We wished instead for stories well told. Wow. So oh. there it is. I, I want to clap for yes. that. I love that. Oh I'm going God. to have that printed and framed. <laughs> oh, thank no, you. I love I'm like, I wish that I was still in school. Thank you. This would have been so fun to have yeah. you like narrate these stories. I feel like kids must love oh. that. You know, yes. I'm very jealous that and I'm out of school now. We plan to actually to uh, get ourselves tickets for the Terrytown Music um, Hall, hall yes. to see you. We, we honestly, we did see it on the website. And we're like, that sounds fun. And Honestly, if you guys already, you can, you can already hear in his voice how passionate he is about storytelling. Yes. I can't even only imagine in person. To be able to even talk to you right now has been such an honor. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited to see you. Your work in action. And yes. honestly, anyone who's listening, get your tickets. <laughs> yeah, check <laughs> him out. Give him a follow. He's got a lot Make of sure you things. Google the right crook. <laughs> and thank you, you know, the Vogel twins. You got, you have such a beautiful harmony that... Uh, that echoes what I've been saying. And it's it's really been a joy to have this opportunity to share stories with you and your your podcast audience. Aww, yeah, thank you. No, oh my God. It's thank our you. honor, honestly. Yeah. Thank you again for sharing it and sharing a little bit of your storytelling with us. I, yeah. I was enamored. I was like, all right, he can take the podcast. <laughs> he can just yeah. own this now. <laughs> and, and also I'll make sure just to note as well, we'll make sure to leave all of his information on our website as well. Yes. yes. And we'll be linking all of your socials, the website where you mentioned earlier in mm-hmm. the information in our bio. So please check that out on our website so you can connect with Jonathan here. Yes. <laughs> Thank you again so much for being here. Thank on. you. Thanks yes. for having me. Bye-bye.